You're listening to Cool and Unusual Punishment Presents Chosen. This is episode seven. My name is Tyler, and joining me as always, Jody. How are you? I never know what to say. I guess. Jody, what are you? I'm good. So, last episode we were talking about the wounded course. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are we now? We're still on the wounded course. There was one particular piece of that curriculum that we mentioned that I have some like specific information on. I want to read some of it because I think it's unusual for these to be problematic areas for a church to be worried about. Mm-hmm. This is the performance addiction and misery addiction. Yeah. Maybe it's just interesting to me. Mm-hmm. The idea that a church would be worried about somebody having performance addiction or misery addiction is just kind of funny to me. <laughs> like, it just does not seem like what I was expecting to have, like, whole document written about. So let me share some of this, okay? This was part of the course. This week, you have the opportunity to learn about your emotional addictions and how they affect your ability to heal from your wounds. Each of us has developed a certain flavor of emotional addiction that is determined by factors like how our parents raised us, how they were wounded, and how we were wounded by them and other significant role models. There are two basic types of emotional addiction. Performance addiction and misery addiction. <laughs> Duh. There's absolutely no other types. Uh, yeah, I maybe we'll find out. Maybe these are broader than I'm picturing, but I can see what those two might be. But then I can think of many other kinds of emotional addiction. But okay, performance addiction and misery addiction. Yep. You may have one of these addictions in its purest form. However, most people are probably a combination of the two. Okay, I mean, okay, the one-upper at work, performance addiction, uh, relationship jealousy, misery addiction. Whoa. I mean, maybe, maybe this is right. Whoa. Those are the only other two, by the way. <laughs> performance addiction begins as you discover that you have certain talents and capabilities that allow you to achieve and accomplish beyond the normal ability of most people. That is why performance addiction is known as the, quote, curse of the capable. To have a performance addiction, one of your parents or a significant role model has to have it as well. Hey, look, it's I've so been, concrete. I've been waiting to have hard and fast rules this whole series, and I didn't expect it to be here, but okay. It's genetic, the... The performance addiction. <laughs> the, or the capability, certainly. Right, okay, right. Okay, gotcha. I mean, you know, certainly there's no families with black sheeps or, you know. 
Consequently, in the course of your relationship together, this parent offered you relationship only if you performed at the highest level. If you strayed from the path of perfection, parental approval was immediately withheld. This means that you grew up rating all of your behaviors on a scale that ranges from inadequate to perfect. Anything less than perfect was not worthy of emotional reward. So you learned to keep score with yourself in all areas of life. The paradox of performance addiction is that performance addicts achieve at a very high level but never measure up. While performance addicts desperately want love and acceptance, their addiction drives people further away instead of bringing them closer. This causes performance addicts to work harder, which drives people even further away still. Driven so far away. Oh my God. (laughs) This endless cycle creates a lack of relational integrity, which means that performance addicts value performance above people. What performance addicts do not see is that their busy schedules are actually being used to protect them from the cost of intimacy and real relationship that they so deeply crave. There is just a million spelling errors in this thing. And I'm just hopping around, you know, how do performance addicts approach wounded performance addicts attempt to produce the finest homework with the most exciting detail Okay, so was the were the were these archetypes created as a result of having the course of wound like these are the kind of people we see come in here. You're gonna come in here, you're gonna try and do your homework, and you're gonna yeah. think I'm doing it right. Well you're not. Yeah, that feels like something okay. <laughs> that I mean, I'm not answering yes to your question. Right, right. I'm saying that feels like something we would hear. I think I in asked last sermon. episode if if uh it was possible if anybody had ever gone through this course without without yeah. discovering the wound. I guess they've accounted for it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Performance addicts attempt to produce the finest homework with the most exciting detail, timelines, stories, and identity boards, but they will seek to reveal as little of their deepest wounds as possible unless they discover that their group leaders greatly reward transparency and openness. At this point, performance addicts will seek to become the most transparent and open group members to receive the greatest emotional reward, yet little vulnerability will actually occur. The dark details of their story that make them look bad will remain hidden from the group at all costs. This is why performance addicts shine in their wounded group, but actually experience little lasting healing. I think that's weird. It feels... um, Like mean. Well, yes. Yeah, and it's a little meta. It's a little reverse engineered from like... It it sounds like this is how it manifests itself in the course. So let's go backwards and find out why you're doing... Like this itself is a wound, and we'll figure that out. Because of the way you're behaving in this course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And... Some of this is like, I don't know. It would make you a little self-conscious about being too transparent if that's also yeah, a possible Yeah, or fault. like <laughs> too... Wow, really, really being honest there, aren't you? Like, kind wow, this, this board looks really good. <laughs> it just seems like at the end of that, I think to myself, wow, so this is an issue that we really have to linger on, you know, I just don't really understand the value in having a piece of paper like this. It feels uh, like when people do a horoscope 
or there's some thing that little quiz they take and you know like you get the results and you're like oh my gosh this is all about me everybody to some extent probably has a little bit I'm assuming a lot of parents to some degree you know are like how are your grades or it just seems like uh, making a bunch of people think they have a bigger problem than they maybe did, did have does well, that make sense? It assumes a lot based on what feels like uh, someone's behavior in like group sessions, which, by the way, we found out last time, like the course encourages you to do exactly what you can be penalized for. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And also the course, you know, tells you you're going to need to put a lot of time into this. This is a huge commitment. And also on top of this, that's it. That's all that's, that's written it? about it. Okay. Yeah, that was about 50% of that was just... Yeah, I mean, uh, I skipped around, but like... It, I mean, because the part about know. what the seeds of this would be or the, the idea of it, I mean, that was pretty... I don't know. You don't need to be a therapist to identify like that kind of personality type. Seemed like we really glossed over that. Yeah. <laughs> to get to like... Yeah, we know. We, we see you in, in your group sessions. Yeah. Making a scene. Right. And also... Uh, Pretty exciting story you got there. (laughs) You don't need to be a therapist to perhaps identify that, but you should be a therapist to be like knowing how to deal with it. Well, it doesn't seem that interested in dealing with it, honestly, except to call someone out in group sessions. (laughs) Like, it doesn't seem like we're actually getting to. Yes, that's true. Yes. Okay, misery addiction. Your homework is very bad. (laughs) (laughs) Misery addiction begins when you are wounded by the person in life who loves you most. Suddenly, this person who has been the source of your greatest relationship becomes the source of your greatest pain. In that moment, your brain creates a file that says love equals unbearable pain. And the emotional world of the misery addict flips. Suddenly, everything in life that should feel positive feels negative. Achievement produces anxiety and intimacy creates fear. Happiness brings discomfort. Pleasure feels like pain and feeling better actually feels worse. At the same time, everything in life that should produce negative emotional responses suddenly feels comfortable. The focus of misery addicts is to get rid of all the uncomfortable and anxious emotions of life, which can often feel quite painful. Their goal is to feel good again, so they push away from everything positive to avoid negative emotions, which is often like a pit in the stomach or a lump in the throat. This causes misery addicts to be addicted to avoidance. Misery addicts crave avoidance like alcoholics crave a drink, so they use tool addictions to help them actively avoid life, Porn, computer use, TV, sleep, food, spending, substances, hobbies, self-abuse, work, etc. Misery addicts long for intimacy more than any other group of people, yet they are scared to death of it at the same time. The primary tool for misery addicts is self-sabotage, and misery addicts have a compelling, heart-rending reason, also known as excuse, for why they choose what they do. Self-sabotage includes one or more of the following... A desperate need to be in control, poor anger management, impulse problems, crossing moral boundaries, being stuck 
and repetitive behaviors that don't work, returning to people and places that support the addiction, financial problems, problems with intimacy and isolation. Misery addicts cannot see what they are up to. Consequently, they are deeply offended by people who try to tell them what they are really doing to themselves. How do misery addicts approach wounded? Misery addicts will subconsciously try to sabotage the healing process at every turn without realizing what they are doing. Shouldn't this say, how could misery addicts be healed by wounded? Like, why are we hearing these weird stereotypes? Like, why do we need to identify these sorts of people? Like, don't you think this is, like, bizarre? It it does. Again, it feels... Because these are different than the other kinds of wounds we talked about where these specifically are described in through the frame of like how will you try to ruin your your healing in this course yeah it's framed around the course that's why we have to define them like why are you screwing up in this course like yeah the other the other forms of abuse don't like the the course itself isn't part of the description but these are yeah okay so we got people doing good and then people doing bad in the course and that's how we've identified are two addicts. They will say that they're engaged in the process, but at the same time, they may suddenly have to miss a couple of sessions for sickness, work, etc., or drop out altogether. Misery addicts will often forget to do their homework or simply run out of time. This literally is just you're good at homework or you're bad at homework, but either way, we got you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if they do put together a timeline or get their letter written, they will often confuse the purpose of of the assignment or miss the point altogether. If someone in the group starts to offer them real relationship, misery addicts will feel encouraged at first, but will eventually find a reason to pull back from the person offering relationship. That must be like a term, like offering relationship. Like, Yeah. Misery addicts may find it difficult to trust one or both of their leaders. And above all, misery addicts will subconsciously find ways to feel miserable and discouraged during the process while other group members are starting to experience healing and freedom, believing that healing can come for others, but not for them. You know, this doesn't this also feel like a way I bet a lot of people were uncomfortable in that course. And doesn't it feel like a way to just put all of those feelings like, listen, um, you're feeling that way because you're a misery addict. The type of person described as a misery addict, that's maybe it's a, a broad way to say it. But those are real like uh, abusive, like personality, like substance abuse and, and addiction issues can come from trauma obviously that you would think that would be the focus if we're describing that sort of person not it's yeah again it's only in relation to like why they're not doing good in the course it's weird to reference yourself in your own course like why and and yeah we have both sides we have a way to to target anybody through these two descriptions yeah. you're either trying too hard or not enough exactly yeah Combination addiction. While you may be a pure performance addict. You might be both. (laughs) Or a misery addict. Many people are a combination of the two. A common combination is to be a performance addict at work and a misery addict at home. Another common combination is to be an overall performance addict, yet you constantly seek to sabotage your life in one or two areas. Physical help, marriage, relationship, etc., It is important for you to see if both addictions are playing out and where they occur. Your homework this week is to answer a questionnaire 
that will help you further assess your addiction tendencies, which is something that we had talked about. And of course, the real homework will be when we look at that homework and see how you did it. The note behind the note. Healing for performance and misery addiction. The first step to healing is to understand what performance and misery addictions are. Well, okay, we've already gone over that. To see if and how you are currently addicted and to embrace the truth of your situation. Because Jesus is our healer, you do not have to shrink back in pride and fear from seeing the truth of your addictive patterns. Having a clear understanding of your addictions means that you will be ready to learn more about them and bring them into the light of community so that Jesus can break these addictions with his love. The second step of healing is to see how your addictions have hurt and hindered our relationship with God. You were created for a deep, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. An addiction sets itself in place of God in your life, and it keeps you from knowing his love for you. As an addict, you trust your addictive patterns more than you trust the truth of God's word. The third step in the healing process is to see how your addictive patterns are destroying your life and keeping you from healing. When you are addicted, it is very difficult for you to believe that your addictions are harmful because they feel so comfortable to you. The fourth and perhaps most painful step of healing is to see how your addictions have hurt the people you love and damaged your relationships. Both performance and misery addicts push away the people who love them the most. It will be very difficult for you to see the depths of destruction that you have brought into your relationships if you choose pride. Once you have seen the weight of your addictions and what they have done to your relationship with God, you and your relationship with others, it's time to ask God to break your heart for what you have done. This is known as godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings you to repentance, frees you from sin, and produces real-life change. Godly sorrow is painful and costly. It hurts a lot to feel the weight of your sin, but the end result of godly sorrow is hope, healing, and freedom. The next step is a daily step. You must renew your mind to the truth of God's word. Your mind has been filled with lies. You need a new way to think. God's truth is the only antidote. The final step in your healing is a long-term commitment to a community of godly people who will continually love you and call you into who you are created to be. You need people who will not allow that to live in your addictive patterns, people who will love you into healthy patterns of relationship. This is what the wounded community can be for you. I guess I was going to say it It reinforces kind of what we, we talked about this before, that it, it felt like a boot camp sort of, that we've defined two ways that we, if need be, can classify anybody coming into the course as, as doing too well or, or not doing well enough. But either way, we can, we have a method to which you can call someone out as, as not doing this right. Yeah. Like the part where they're telling you like, like how they can pick out your behaviors in the class. But then when it gets to the actual healing part and then break your heart and then God's truth will flood in. And what is that? Well, we have a community of people, which will (laughs) fill it for you. And, you know, like this class is like 10 weeks long. So good luck. I mean, people with problems sometimes require therapy for a long time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I hadn't thought of that, that. We were talking about this being like a gauntlet, but yeah, if these are real problems, 10 weeks is probably (laughs) maybe not enough to 
get you to a healthy place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's go back briefly, just as a reminder to everybody, to what the crisis intervention team said about wounded before we move to my next piece. There was a repeated pattern of division being cultivated between a person and their family of origin. This appears to have often begun in the wounded course, when a person was coached to investigate their family of origin people were frequently encouraged to find some level of abuse in their family. This was facilitated by multiple staff pastors and key volunteers. It was reported that teens were taken through courses which could pit them against their family of origin. An apparent process began to develop over the last several years where someone was encouraged to sever ties with their family of origin and declare Valleybrook their new family. As part of this process, some were encouraged to find a new parent figure to fill that role moving forward. Many spoke of the pressure to sever, release, ties with family of origin. People reported that the former lead pastor would create doubts in their minds about their families, and gradually they would believe that their families were the cause of their woundedness and separation was required to be well. A number of people said the former lead pastor hammered away at their families. Some said the former lead pastor told them they never loved you, speaking of their family of origin. It appears that many people have written letters, severing ties to their families of origin. Many more were encouraged to create a wedge within their family to gain distance from the father who does not love you. So that's one section. Then we've got wounded mentioned in another section about confidentiality. People reported that the material from the wounded course was drawn upon in other contexts outside of those settings. So then it came to the part in that report I read in the first episode where it was all the recommendations. Terminate the Valleybrook version of the wounded course and eventually replace with the originally published wounded. It can only be restarted when professionally trained people can facilitate the classes. So they say, stop it. Move back to the wounded heart type material and only do this when you have people who are trained to do this. Right. So this comes from the interim pastor after everything exploded. Okay. And I do realize that this is an odd ordering of some extent, how we're doing this. Like we will eventually get, to where everything exploded and talk about that in a lot of different ways. Um, July 28th, 2015. Hi, Valley Brook. The transitional leadership team has been working diligently on a variety of issues related to helping Valley Brook regain balance and to purposefully move forward. We envision a future marked by restoration and clear focus on Christ's reign over us leading to new measures of engagement in his mission in the world. One of the issues we have needed to give some attention to has been the ministry tool that was known as Wounded. In the Crisis Intervention Team report that was presented in March, it was recommended that the Wounded course be terminated and eventually be replaced with the originally published Wounded Heart material. 
The reason for the recommendation was that in the findings of the CIT, it was discovered that among those who had in some way been spiritually or emotionally abused through Valley Brook Ministries in the past, a very large segment of those had been injured in our wounded course. It was also discovered that some of what was happening in wounded was not consistent with the the printed material from the original wounded heart material written by Dan Allender. In fairness, we are aware of many stories of people who were in some way meaningfully helped over the years through the wounded course. Even on our transitional leadership team, there are members who would testify to having experienced the touch of God and a measure of life transformation through this ministry in years past. The concern that has developed about the course centered on the way aspects of the ministry morphed and became disruptive and hurtful in people's lives. I will interject a personal opinion here. I think to myself, if you are having a transitional leadership team, which we will talk about more later, feels risky to have the team that's going to transition you away from what's happened include people who were there for it. Yeah. Like, yeah, why would was, you do that? That was part of the recommendations. Like, it was kind of a, we'll, we'll take a little bit of everybody. Yeah, and kind of- it just seems weird to me. Pastor Tim has met with scores of people, and he has heard lots of accounts from both leaders and participants in the ministry. While we celebrate stories of how God worked through some competent of the wounded ministry to make a difference for good, we nevertheless have had to take seriously the many and varied accounts of injury and deep family pain that traces back to experiences people had in wounded. Okay, so now I'm going, I've redacted a name, so I'm going to just use the name Robert. Robert was involved with wounded in the last several years as a, as a leader. He recognized the way the ministry morphed into something that became corrupted. That is his term for what he perceived. Out of concern for leaders who had been involved in the last season of Wounded, which is the one we, the 2014, Robert has continued to meet with leaders. This summer, that group is going through a study of the book, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. That group actually did stop meeting at some point not long after this email. Robert has wanted to offer care to these leaders as they sort through some of what happened. They need a chance to reflect on what happened because in many ways there were systemic influences that can lay buried in people. Robert, for example, is trying to inventory his own soul to discern ways in which these systemic influences may have taken root in his thinking. So he and other former leaders from the most recent season of Wounded are seeking to be honest with one another in a context of compassion and mutual commitment so that there can be meaningful examination and helpful support. You know, I can't comment on what that was like. You know, I'm sure best intentions, but I am maybe a little... uh, at this point automatically suspicious of like we've created a sub-wounded course for the leaders of the first one to discover how they were wounded and why they wounded other people as a result yeah alright
Robert submitted a paper to the transitional leadership team that he has also distributed to the leaders from the most recent season of Wounded. The TLT believes that this paper is significant, and we wanted the body at Valley Brook to have a chance to read it and consider its substance. Robert agreed to have us distribute this paper more widely. The paper is being included at the end of this correspondence. On Thursday evening, following the 7 p.m. prayer gathering, the transitional leadership team is hosting Q&A session, whose aim is to provide opportunity to ask questions related to wounded. The TLT plans to be there to interact with you, and Robert is also going to be available in that meeting. The TLT is sending out another correspondence this coming Monday, the Lord willing. It will outline some processes and goals we have been working on for the transition period. We are working on a timeline for action. We are still waiting on the final report from the accounting firm on our financial evaluation that's coming. We are also working on a plan for student ministry in the fall. Our longing moving forward is to prioritize our children's ministry and our ministry to students. In Jesus, the transitional leadership team. Oh, yeah. I, the more we talk about this, the more it's, it, it's kind of sinking in, well, for lack of a better word, how traumatic uh, this must be. I assume if you're part of this church, it's, you're very invested in this community. And to be having th- these sort of correspondences go out and like these Q&A sessions in the wake of this must have been yeah. really something. Yes, and a lot of the people that I've spoken with tried to hang on, yeah, but don't, and we'll get to that. This reminds me of the equivalent of like something really tragic happening to you, and then you just decide you're going to go to work. Yeah. I mean, it just feels like, did they ever stop church for just one week? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. my gosh, can you just like put the pause button on like everything was kind of infected and instead of just being like let's just be for a while it's like this need to just like i don't know if it's to keep the lights on or what you know but it just feels like this insistence yeah it probably makes it harder in a lot of ways that you because you can't pause and correct things reset like if you have to keep doing sermons every sunday like it's like you have this it's like getting shot like you have to keep limping while you're still wounded th- wounded through like yeah. the, the the whole process while and trying to s- still uh, but like why degree. do you have to i i can't assume what people's relationship to religion is if if they're you know if they are a regular churchgoer i imagine it's hard to stop going especially if the reason is because we have to shut the church down and like fumigate for corruption it's probably not easy yeah i mean they maybe should have done that though yeah so here's this letter putting wounded to rest revised edition 7-6-2015. Okay, remind me, this is the letter that, that Robert wrote that the crisis team said... You should share this with... Yes, okay. so this pastor prefaced this with this email, gotcha. and then here's the attachment. Introduction. 
In the fall of 2011, I went through my first season of what was then Wounded Heart. The initial season was transformational for me. I was so deeply impacted that I started co-leading a small group the following season. In the summer of 2013, I took on deeper responsibility within the program, eventually rewriting the curriculum and coordinating all logistical aspects of the program, which had become known simply as Wounded by that time. The summer of 2013 also saw an overall leadership shift in the program. The Corruption of Wounded In the last two years under Doug's leadership, Wounded still produced some positive results. I experienced some significant healing myself, and I witnessed other lives being changed in powerful ways. However, our focus began to change. As has been reported by the Crisis Intervention Team, participants were improperly being led to make severe boundaries with their families of origin, including severing ties completely. Based on conversations I've had, it is apparent that this was happening regularly in Doug and Nate's small groups. This emphasis also touched the leadership team, as we were taught during our preseason in, the, in September 2014 that if our parents did not love us perfectly, they hated us. The prevalence of spiritual abuse within the wounded program, including the above example, had become increasingly clear since the CIT provided the findings of their investigation. While this abuse was not limited to Doug's direct leadership, it could be argued that his leadership was at the root of it. It had also become clear that many of the wounded leaders took on some of the abusive patterns we learned from Doug. This corruption is a tragedy. Wounded had been an incredible resource for hurting people, and God used it to change hundreds of lives over the years. Wounded had been an incredible resource for hurting people. <laughs> I know what he means, but... But the corruption that occurred has virtually undercut whatever good there was. It was insidious and impacted the program and its leaders in ways that we are still discovering. Wounded at this point is irredeemable. Because of that, I would like to officially pronounce that wounded is dead. It is gone, never to return. The only thing left to do, which is a mighty task, is to help those who have been hurt in the context of the wounded ministry find healing and closure. Like, I hope that that involves therapists. Yeah. Well, I, I hope it doesn't involve another course, certainly. I did look at, um, and I should remind everybody, I forgot to at the beginning, we are speaking about Valley Brook at a very particular period of time. Um, I'm not speaking to what's happening at Valley Brook at this time. I do not know, but I did look at their small groups and I didn't see anything called wounded. Gotcha. Taking responsibility. Toward that end, I would like to personally take responsibility for the damage that wounded has done. I am honestly unaware of any abuse I have personally perpetrated, although I am asking God regularly to show me any such instances if they occurred. Regardless, I have become the face of the program, and I long to publicly take responsibility for what happened. More importantly, and closer to my heart, I want to sit with people who were hurt, listen to their stories, and in as much as I can, help facilitate their healing process. My heart beats for this right now. I do think that this was, should not be the person to help somebody heal at this point. If this is a sincere letter, like there feels like this need for everybody to just deal with this like right now and, and like contain it 
and well, we'll, we'll fix it, you know? And it's like, if this is sincere, then you need help and you should not be helping other people. Yeah. Well, uh, he sounds sincere and I would believe it if he says he sincerely doesn't believe that he hurt people. And I would believe that he wouldn't know if he did and, and him being like, well, look, I want to help. And like, God will help me help you. Like it, 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 it it's, it's sort of, yeah. Deferral of a personal responsibility. He, yeah. You don't want to accept that. Like I, I am a huge problem in this and I probably shouldn't be part of the next step, but I really want to be part of the next step. So, cause I meant well, so, you know, right. Uh, yeah. One aspect of that process that I've already assumed responsibility for is caring for former wounded leaders. Before the last season began, I felt God, God calling me to care for the leaders pastorally. I had no idea what that would mean fully until Doug and Nate resigned. I can see now that God, in his provision, was setting me up to offer the team the support, not only that they had already been lacking, but special support in light of the tumultuous nature of the last few months. I have been meeting and communicating with this group on a regular basis. I love them and my heart is broken for what they have experienced which is also what he experienced. In July, we are going to start going through the subtle power of spiritual abuse together. My hope is that we will see where we have been abused, where we picked up abusive patterns, heal from these things, and learn how to love each other in spite of our varying experiences and circumstances. As I stated before and want to be abundantly clear about, wounded is dead. We are in the process of burying it. Does that mean that Valleybrook is finished with emotional healing ministry? I doubt it but I will not presume anything. We are dreaming about Valley Brook launching a new ministry focused on emotional healing sometime in the future. Oh my gosh. Why? <laughs> Just this is therapy work. I, I, I was going to say that I like the strong language of this letter. It, it feels stronger than a lot of other things we've read uh, about wounded is dead we are burying it it's gone it's no more like i appreciate the finality of understanding this was a problem and we are casting it away and you want to believe that in the wake of that we would learn healthier ways to deal with our uh, uh our emotional wounds previous to wounded or caused by wounded but yeah a a and this this guy <laughs> picking up the torch to like i'll lead us to emotional healing is maybe uh he's maybe not the one to be carrying it <laughs> a lot of people would agree with you right and when the person who wrote the curriculum is now like saying oh listen i'm feeling called to yeah yeah i i noted that as well it's like listen you know what I'm reading this as it is, and what I'm saying right now is my personal interpretation, which is not to say that this is what it is, but it feels a bit power trippy. But, you know, like a scene, an in, you know, like let me go from key volunteer to this status and I'll help everybody. And again, it's like you need help. You need help. This is in July of 2015. This is a few short months after this report came out. Everybody is trying to deal with everything. Why don't you you all get some professional, neutral parties to help you guys through this? 
Why would you have somebody who was in the thick of it? Well, this guy himself talked about there being possible systemic issues within the organization that are corrupting things from from within. I don't know. Can you what What does a course on spiritual abuse that is supposed to be self reflective look like in this church? I think you could probably miss some really <laughs> important uh, road signs in that in that course. Yeah, I would agree. This ministry would be much more Jesus centric and would ultimately be focused on emotional discipleship, but we are willing to set that aside for as long as necessary or for good. If this is what God calls us to do. Personally, I feel God is calling me to pursue that kind of ministry, but the timing and content is beyond flexible. Difficult also because we're, we've just been listening to somebody who used God's calling to justify a lot of bad behaviors in this church. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and to be to be clear, in case I missed it, like he seems like he had said he doesn't, I don't know that I abuse people, like to my knowledge, but he was the leader of like the last course before intervention, right? So he was undoubtedly years. Yeah. Uh, at the wheel of a lot of the, the worst of it. Okay. As mentioned above, there is no redemption for wounded. And while its corruption is tragic, it is only a program, a tool that God used to do mighty things when it was appropriated in an obedient manner. It doesn't need redemption. However, I believe wholeheartedly that our healing emphasis at Valleybrook does. I still believe that is a central part of who God has designed this community to be. How does that look going forward? I honestly don't know. And I'm praying that God will make his plan evident and clear. It sure feels like God is like a, in, in this context, is like a spackle you can use to to really fill in some of the more uncomfortable gaps like yeah look this was just a tool that god used <laughs> right oh, hey who are we to say <laughs> yeah which you know that same kind of thinking is what got people to sign up for this yeah you know well this is god's you know because when you because, operate because if you said this was a uh, these college kids really want to do their best with you you might feel less inclined to uh submit to that authority yeah and you know if you're a, a member of this congregation and you start having like conversations with Doug and getting noticed or whatever a lot of what was used against people was like it got this is God's you know and then suddenly we're seeing it again and I feel like anybody in this congregation reading this might feel a little skeptical about this because this is the sort of speaking that got them in this place in the first place yeah you know and this is probably what why there exists uh crisis intervention teams in situations like this because I would think that in a church congregation a lot of what you are talking about and learning about involve faith in God which is an inherently vulnerable yes. sort of place to put yourself in so when you use faith in God as a as a method to to weaponize it is is really that's a poor place to put your your flock in Conclusion. 
I'm still saddened that this program that I loved, invested in, and that impacted me so deeply has fallen in this manner. It makes me sick to hear how people were injured by something that was supposed to be healing. It makes me angry to increasingly understand how God and his word were manipulated in order to manipulate wounded participants. Thankfully, now that the program is officially dead, we can move on and find healing from the damage done. I'm grateful that we have a father who knows our wounds intimately and is already at work in our hearts and minds to set us free. And I would add that this person was also a person that had a knitted relationship. So, you know, just tough to think about having all of these things and then also like seeing yourself as like this beacon of light to move forward. But that's where we're at with wounded. That's the death of wounded, I guess you might say question mark just in that they seem very you know the crisis team is like stop doing that program eventually do the other program and do that other program when you have professional people to do it yeah yeah it's uh the appropriate end to of course like wounded but it's also not lost on me that this was done with a very tight leash uh, it seems like like this was forced <laughs> by a intervention team yes yeah right had that not been the recommendation it's just strange this desperation you know i guess it's like when you are the creator of whatever it is and then somebody says like you have to stop doing that you just have this feeling of I want to find a way to keep doing this or whatever, you know? What was lacking in that letter was a acknowledgement that, you know, one of the core conceits of wounded was that everybody is wounded and that it's assumed that we are all in need of some kind of healing from a deep wound. I don't know that that's necessarily... There's no acknowledgement that, like, maybe we didn't all need to be doing this in the first place and... Maybe some of us weren't wounded until we went through this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, more to come next time. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay tuned. Chosen is presented by Cool and Unusual Punishment. Research and interviewing by Jody Haas, with editing and mixing by Tyler Haas. Our theme music for this series is by Zavely. You can find more music by him on Apple Music. Just search for Zavely, X-A-V-L-Y. This podcast is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Network, a coalition of Wisconsin-produced shows that you can find at nerdandtie.com. You can also join the discussion in the forums at nerdandtie.social, you can reach us directly by sending us a message on our Facebook page or by emailing us at mail at coolandunusualpunishment.com. You can find links to all of these things and more in our show notes by visiting our website, coolandunusualpunishment.com. Wow, really, really being honest there, aren't you? Like, I'm wow, suspicious. this this board looks really good. <laughs> <laughs>